Amen. Thank you, Grayson and worship team. I didn't think they could uh, do as good a job as they did in the first service, and they've proved me wrong. What a time of worship. We're going to be back in Philippians 1 today, and we're going to talk about, uh, I think, something that I would say most everybody has at least pondered this, at least, you know, maybe turned it over in their mind, but maybe even at most have, have really struggled with this, have ba- battled this question, what is the meaning of life? Why are we here? What, what's our purpose? What, what, what is it that should make me get out of bed in the morning? How do I continue? And it's kind of a spoiler because the songs have already kind of done what, what I'm trying to do through the message. You know, what's the meaning of life? Because he lives. What's the meaning of life? He's bigger than I thought he was. You know, that I, I just throw it all to him and just rest in the Father's hands. That's the meaning of life. But I think that Paul has some uh, words for us here, some things for us here to look at, to glean from, that can help us understand what the answer to that question is, and also give us kind of a roadmap on how to go forward as we try to live our lives day to day, even in these crazy times. Um, We all want to find purpose. We all want to feel like we're leaving our mark or we're making an impact. We, We all want to feel like we matter. Is that fair? I think most people would say that they don't want to just live a life. They want to make an impact. They want to leave a mark. Uh, The great Western philosopher, Josie Wales, the great Western philosopher, Josie Wales, said it this way, Dying ain't much of a living, boy. And while that's a cool line in a really cool movie, it's one of my favorite movies, I think the Apostle Paul and I would both have to disagree. Because for the follower of Jesus, dying is living. Dying is living. It's it's what we're here to do. We're making disciples, but we're doing that through dying to self, dying to flesh, dying to our old way of life, dying to our old pattern. The Bible says we're to take up our cross daily and follow Him. The original audience would have fully understood what that means a lot better than we do. You know, some men would say, well, my old lady, she's just my cross to bear. Now, not any men in here. Let me be clear, ladies, not any of the men in here have ever or would ever say or even think that. But I think I've heard some of the ladies say it about their husbands too. But no, I'm just kidding. But, but some of us think, well, you know, this, this physical limitation or this, uh, this, you know, financial problem or this, you know, this, this struggle that I have in my life, well, that's just my cross to bear. That's not what the original audience would have heard, and that's not the context of that saying. What they would have heard when he said, take up your cross daily, they would have said, oh, so every day I'm going to die. Every day I'm taking up the implement of my destruction, and I'm taking that with me so that I'm prepared. Look at it like this. If I had a cross and I'm carrying it, I'm just looking for the place Jesus wants me to put it in the ground and climb up on it. Because that's the mentality of the follower of Christ, is we are here to die daily. And we talked about this last week, all the things that Paul talked about when he talked about that that concept of that we are supposed to die in order to live and this is what they would have heard so I want us to look at how Paul addresses the question about the meaning of life and see if we can find some answers in it for our own lives if you would if you'd stand with me we're going to read in Philippians 1 and we're going to read 21 through the end of the chapter in verse 30 isn't it a privilege to have the the word of God that we can go to we don't have to memorize God's instructions we can actually turn here and look at it Let's look at verse 21. 
Paul says, for me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Now, remember, he's following up this conversation he's had about, you know, uh, he wants to hear good reports from this church. He's expecting it. And he basically says, uh, I'm not ashamed about anything because I know that Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by death or by life. So he's already kind of introduced the subject of this battle between life and death. And now he's going to clarify it. To live is Christ and dying is gain. Now I live on in the flesh, and this means fruitful work. I'm sorry, let me try that again. If I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am pressured by both. I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your advancement and joy in the faith, so that because of me your confidence may grow in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Just one thing. Now, by the way, just pause. Most of the time, you know, like if somebody's giving you instructions or they're telling you something, oh, just one thing, it's not the main thing, right? Oh, just one thing. I forgot I left the oven on. Will you go turn that off before you leave? Oh, just one thing. While you're at the store, pick up milk. Just one thing. Don't forget to, we've got to take the dogs to the vet. No, Paul says just one thing, and then he drops this massive bomb on us, okay? Just one thing, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's your one thing? That's your, like Paul, is that, that's an addendum to all the stuff you're saying, Paul, is live my life in a manner worthy of the gospel? Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you and that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, working side by side for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is evidence of their destruction, but of your deliverance. And this is from God. For it has been given to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, having the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear about me. Father God, I need you to speak because we need to hear from you, not from me. God, speak today through your word, through your servant, for Christ's glory. And in his name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So I want to talk to you about five things the first one is the choice. The choice. This is the critical part of, this is the crux of Paul's commentary here is the choice we have to make. Uh, verses 21 and 22. For me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. That's, that's a mind blower if you just think about it. Paul is trying to choose which one is more attractive to him, living or dying. In Galatians 2, 19 and 20, he says it this way, For through the law I have died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. A.W. Tozer said it this way, We want to be saved, but we insist that Christ do all the dying. We want to be saved, but we insist that Christ do all the dying. So what that means is we want to live like hell, but we want to go to heaven. My former pastor, my buddy Stacy Stafford, would always say, people want to see how much hell they can have in them and still get into heaven. That's the mentality that Tozer is talking about there. He's saying we all, want to, we all want to go to heaven. We all want to have Christ. We all want to, want to enjoy the fruits of salvation, but we want Jesus to do all the work. We want Jesus to do all the dying. We want to live for self and let him do all the dying, but we've got to die to self. That's the point of what we're talking about when we say to live is Christ. To know how to live the Christian life to its fullest, 
we also have to understand a critical phrase that Paul uses in verse 22. He says, fruitful work. In the Greek, that word labor is ergon, which means uh, one has been, uh, what one has been called or ordained to accomplish. What one has been called or ordained to accomplish. We are called and ordained to fulfill the role of a missionary, of an evangelist. We're to take the gospel to people, share the gospel, make disciples. That's our mission. That's what we've been called to. That is our fruitful work. Fruitful is defined as producing good or helpful results or productive. We want to be productive for the king. That means we must take the gospel to people. That must, we must make disciples if we're going to be productive. I think we can safely say that Paul meant that we are to be productive in accomplishing the Great Commission, and that is our fruitful work. John 15, 16, Jesus said, You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might what? Go and bear fruit. And then he clarifies it, fruit that will last. Any fruit that's, listen, you know how to tell real fruit from fake fruit? Take a bite. You know how to tell real Christian fruit from fake fruit? Is real fruit lasts in the life of the believer. Real fruit has staying power. Not that, we, not that we are fruitful in order to gain our salvation, but our salvation causes us to emote, to e, e, just exude fruitful behavior, that we're living in a way that produces fruit for the Father. In Romans 1.13, Paul refer, refers to it as a harvest. In Colossians 1.6, he refers to it this way. He says, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. See, all of what we're trying to do is that choice between going to heaven now and staying here and producing fruit. The funny thing is, we, we were, me and Grayson and Peyton and another kid went and played golf yesterday out in Hurley. It was my first Saturday off in three months. And I tortured myself by being out in the heat and play. I'm a terrible golfer. But we did enjoy a good fellowship and we had a good lunch. And while we were sitting there eating our lunch in the clubhouse, I heard this song. And I just started grinning and looked at Grayson. And he knew what I was going to say. I said, more bad theology in a country song. Because here's what the song said. Everybody wants to go to heaven. But nobody wants to go now. <laughs> False. Because who's got two thumbs and wants to go to heaven right now? This guy. I'll go right now. Right now. Lord, if it's your will, I'll go right now. Because I know there's nothing on this side of heaven that's got anything to do, any comparison with the glories that are prepared for me. I know that the Bible says mind ha uh, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard. We can't even fathom. All these pictures you see of golden streets and pearly gates, garbage. Set them on fire and burn them. When you see it, you wouldn't throw a rock at anything Picasso has ever done once you have seen heaven. In the first 10,000 years of my heavenly uh, abode, I've got my calendar blocked off. You know what I'm going to be doing? I'm going to be laying on my face crying holy. After about 10,000 years, I'll figure out what to do next. Nobody wants to, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. It's bad theology. I'm going to just be honest with you. Just church, hold up. If you don't, if you say you're going to heaven, but you don't want to go now, if you say that you're going to heaven, she say, ah, you know, really, I don't want the Lord to come back until I get married. I don't want the Lord to come back until I get this promotion. I don't want the Lord to come back until I have paid off my house. I don't want the Lord to come back until I've done X, Y, or Z. Listen to me. You better get checked. You better get, you better get a health check in the Word of God because you ought to be so hungry to see Jesus. 
so excited about what you're going to behold when we stand before him. You've got to have that desire right now to just, like it's pulling you. I want to be there now. I want to see him now. And this is where Paul's at. But Paul says, but I know that it's more beneficial that I stay here. That's the choice. That's the, the dichotomy of the Christian life is battling between what we know we're called to do, what we're equipped to do, what we're put here to do is beneficial, it's fruitful, it's glorifying God, it's part of our worship. But oh my goodness, I want to see Jesus. That's that balance. That's where we've got to find ourselves. The German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche said, He who has a why to live can bear almost any how. He who has a why to live can bear almost any how. He was an atheist, but he gets it right for us. Our how to live is to live is Christ. He's the goal. He's the standard. He's the prize. He's the finish line. He's the trophy. To live is Christ. And then to die is gain. So the first thing is the choice. The second thing is the constraint. Um, I think it's interesting here that Paul says he's pressured or constrained by life and death. Listen to verses 23 and 24. He says, I'm pressured or constrained by both. I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Well, duh. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. That's where, I'm, that's where I dwell right now. Just being honest with you. After some of the people in my life that have gone on to be with Jesus, after some of the things that I've seen in my life and, and some of the situations I have found myself in, it is far better to not have to be here. It is far better to not have to get up every day and battle the flesh, to get up every day and battle these forces of evil that are coming against us. It's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. To remain here is more necessary, I hope, is more helpful for you, for my wife, for my kids, for our college students. That's, that's where I hope I live. I hope I live in that place where I know that heaven is much better, but I can be of good use for the kingdom here. Now listen, when I stop being of good use for the kingdom here, I hope he strikes me dead. Because if I'm not any good for the kingdom, I don't need to be here. I pray that God would take me out before I could ever be a stumbling block to somebody. I pray, I mentioned this this morning in the first service, and I don't say this flippantly, I want y'all to hear me. I don't, I don't just throw this around. I've made a couple of very bold statements in my life, and this is one of them, and I make it in all honesty. If, if it starts to be about me, I pray he would strike me dead. If my life starts to be all about me and all about what makes me feel good, what makes me happy, what makes me feel like I'm, I'm getting what I deserve, I hope he strikes me dead because to live is Christ. Paul says he is literally pulled by his call to serve Jesus in life while being allured by the thought of death because it, he knows that it means he'll be with Jesus. Paul summarizes the life of a follower of Christ pretty succinctly when he says that life or death is far better but life is more necessary. Death is selfish for the believer because the life of a believer being poured out daily is that denying self and taking up your cross that is more productive in the spread of the gospel and the producing of disciples. So that should be where we focus our attention and focus our energy. Even though we have that draw to go see Christ, we should be enamored with the fact that we get to stay here and make much of Jesus. 
And the third thing I want you to see is the confidence. Look at verses 25 and 26. He says, Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I'll remain and continue with all of you for your advancement and joy in the faith, so that because of me your confidence may grow in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Paul has made it his life goal to live so that he can help the churches and increase their confidence in Jesus. I think that's a pretty solid goal for us. Don't you agree? That we could make it our goal to live, but only to live so that we can be of benefit to others, so that we can help grow the kingdom, so that we can help advance the gospel, so we can get somebody that's on their path to heaven diverted and get them, I mean, on their path to hell, get them diverted and on a path to heaven. Wouldn't that be a great way to live your life that you just think, man, what can I do today to get somebody on a path to heaven? What can I do today to encourage somebody in their faith? What can I do today to make much of Jesus and to point people to him? You see, fighting for life is a natural response for us. For human beings, uh, really even for animals, the, the, there's a natural, there's like, it's, pro, it's, in the, it's in the code. It's written into our DNA that we fight to, to live. Did y'all know that? It's when you see somebody, very few times that you see somebody, a lot of times you have like elderly couples who have been married and been together a very long time and, and in their illness they're together and then one of them passes away and shortly after that the other one passes away. The primary reason for that is that that fight for life thing is overwhelmed by that, uh, that emptiness of not having that spouse. But for us, see, our spouse, our true spouse is Jesus. We're the bride of Christ so for us, we should never get to that point where we give up. We should never get to that point where we lay our lives down because of hopelessness because we know that to live is Christ. I keep saying that. You think maybe that's, God's trying to prove a point here? To live is Christ. That fight for life that we have once we're saved should be a fight for eternal life. It should be a fight for a life that honors Jesus, a life that points people to Christ. That should be our fight or flight. It's not... You know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna fight for my life if I'm if I'm in a situation where I have to defend myself. But it's I'm gonna fight for that life of Christ, even if I have to fight against me, even if I'm the adversary. I have to fight to keep me from backing down from that, to keep me from from kind of cowering away because of my own fears and my own insecurities. I have to continue to fight for the life that Christ has given me and the calling that He's given me, the mission He's given me, which is to make disciples. Sadly, it seems that fighting for power has overcome that natural response of fighting for life in a lot of churches. Didn't get any amens on that one. <laughs> it's true. There's a lot of places where members and staff members alike have gotten to a place where their power, their, their authority is so important that they're killing their church in order to exalt themselves. I'll say it again. If that ever becomes me, God help me. If he, I, would, I, would, I would beg that he would strike me dead before I ever become part of the problem, before I ever think it's about me, before I ever think that my power, my claim to fame and my advancement and my Twitter follows or my likes, or, if, if, any, if any of that ever comes to where it's, that's important to me more than the gospel of Jesus Christ going forward, I pray he'd strike me. Because we have got to battle for the things that matter. We've got to fight for the things that are eternal, not the things that are temporal. Victor Frankl, which I'm going to talk to you about, tell you a little bit more about him later, but he said this, everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances to choose one's own way. If we have that confidence that Paul had in them, 
we're going to be able to make that right choice about our attitude. Our attitude matters. How we live our lives matters. How, what we put on social media matters. The fourth thing is the course. Look at verses 27 and 28. I love that just, I get tickled every time I read this. Just one thing. <laughs> just one thing, Paul says. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, working side by side for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. How we live our lives matters here and in eternity. How we live our lives matters here and in eternity because we are the temporal representations of Christ. That's where the term Christian was actually a derogatory term at first. They called them little Christs, and it was some kind of a put-down. But, but we've embraced that because, yeah, you're right, I am a little Christ. I should be. I should be living that way. I don't always live up to that. I don't we always meet muster. But, but my goal is to, to live a life that exemplifies Christ, that points people to Him. We should live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. And that means making each day count for the glory of of King Jesus. Ephesians 4, Paul says it this way, walk worthy of the calling you've received. Live your life in a manner worthy. Walk worthy. You see these, these topics are very similar in Paul's letters because he's trying to drive the same point home to a bunch of different congregations and, and we need that, amen? Anybody here need to read it a couple times just to make sure you get it? Some of y'all maybe just a little slow like I am. Some of y'all don't want to raise... That's okay, good. Thank you, Miss Sandy. I thank you for making me feel better. I'm the only one. I feel like I'm the only one with my hand up going, I'm going to slow class. Nobody else is going to go with me. But sometimes I need to read something multiple times. And I need to hear it in a different voice. So when I'm looking at Paul, I'm reading in Philippians, and I, I see this thing where it says, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Okay. And then I get to Ephesians, and he says, walk worthy of the calling you've received. Those two things are synonymous. If I'm living my life in a way that's going to exemplify the gospel, I'm going to walk in the same way. Listen to me. Stop trying to walk in a way that you're not living. Stop trying to live in a way that you're not walking. Let, let your attitude and your actions and your mouth and your social media and let what you do on Friday and Saturdays match up what you do on Sundays and you'll do that for the glory of King Jesus and He'll be honored. You'll be better. It will help you. I remember when I was lost, when I was younger, I had a church come to me and say, hey, we want you to come and lead worship for us. You just pick out the songs, send them in. I was, at, I was going to Troy at the time. He said, all you got to do is just come on Sundays and lead the songs and sing, and we can do choir practice on Sunday afternoons and have Sunday night service. And I gave them the Baptist no. Anybody know what the Baptist no is? Let me pray about it. <laughs> Y'all, look, I was lost as a goat in Times Square. I was, they, listen, my hypocrisy only ran so far. So I said, let me pray about it. I took about two weeks and caught him saying, here's what I said. Well, you got you to love knowing the language. Again, lost. Lost as a goose in the high wind. I just don't feel like that's what the Lord's leading me to do right now. Well, buddy, <laughs> I'm pretty sure the Lord wouldn't lead me to go to Cash's on Friday and Saturday night either, but that didn't stop me from doing that. You know what I'm saying? So my, my thing was, at least I understood the hypocrisy wasn't going to get my, my, my understanding of the grace of God and the, the wrath of God kept me from being a hypocrite and standing up in front of people going, all right, good morning. You got a little, you're a little dizzy there, hung over. Uh, turning, no, I wasn't going to do that. 
And I knew I wasn't going to quit drinking and run around and being an idiot, so I knew I couldn't take that job and lead worship at a church. You don't think God's got a sense of humor? <laughs> Some 20 years later, or 15 years later, he calls me into the ministry. But, but if, you, if you walk in a manner worthy and you, and you live your life in a manner worthy, if you make those two things match up, then you can do what this song says. There's a song years ago called Life Song by Casting Crowns. Anybody know that one? One of my favorite videos, I'll sit in my Facebook memories from time to time, is me, I'm playing guitar and singing, and Tyler and Laney are like, like this. They're itty-bitty. Little toe-headed babies. You know, Laney was, so, Laney was so little, she was having to do this to get up to the microphone. And they're up on stage at Southside singing with me. Let me give you the lyrics, the chorus. Let my life song sing to you. Let my life song sing to you. I want to sign your name to the end of this day, knowing that my heart was true. Let my life song sing to you. Hey, church, that's what happens when you live in a manner worthy of the gospel is that every day you can sign the Lord Jesus' name and say, God, today was your day. Today I live for you. And if you can't do that today, listen to me, church. Don't give up. Just do it tomorrow. And if you fail tomorrow, just do it Tuesday. Just keep trucking. Keep working. Keep following. Keep being teachable, coachable. Paul's reasoning for living this way was so that our own reputation and character will show three things. Number one, our firm stance. He says, standing firm in one spirit with one mind. In Ephesians 6, he says it this way, I put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, you may stand your ground and after having done everything to stand. Listen, if you don't stand, it really doesn't matter what you do after that. Stand firm. The second thing is a faithful service. He says, working side by side for the faith of the gospel. The only way to work for the faith is side by side with all the saints of God because no man and no woman in Christ is an island. We have to have faithful service and it's got to be side by side. And then the last one, fear, fearless striving. He says, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. In Matthew 10, Jesus was warning the disciples about the coming adversity, the, 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 the persecution, and he said this in verse 28. Don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That'd be a good word for us today. With all this unrest going on, all this, uh, by the way, you can't win. Whatever you say, you're not going to say enough. For some, you're going to say too. You're going to Listen, I'm not going to get on that rant today. I will say this. Quickly, if you're trying to follow the winds of social justice or you're trying to follow the winds of what's socially acceptable, you're going to stagger around like a drunk. Can I just tell you something, church? That's a straight line. It may not make you happy. It may not make you feel good about the way you're living your life. But hey, it's a straight line. And if you'll follow that, I know where you're going. And you won't turn to the right and turn to the left. You will follow that. And I know where you're going. And I know that you will have eternal life in Christ. So one of my favorite stories, we, we named Tyler's middle name. is, is named after my grandfather's middle name. Uh, my grandfather was a barber, cut hair five days a week, was one of my heroes. And his name was Calvin Elisha Cobb. And so we gave Tyler that middle name. 
and, and, I, and, and because of my love for my grandfather, I love that, that name. I started looking it up, and I started studying, and Elisha became one of my favorite biblical characters. And one of my favorite stories is in 2 Kings chapter 6. King, the king of Aram sends this massive army to go kill the prophet Elisha. And so Elisha and his servant are in this little hut, and his servant looks out, and he loses it. He freaks out. He says, um, Master, they're, they're, this army is coming to get us. And what are we going to do? And here's Elisha's response in verse 16 of 2 Kings 6. He said, don't be afraid, for those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. Now, the servant was like, so he, he's like looking around and going, hey, boss, uh, it's just me and you, and I'm seeing that big army coming. Can anybody relate to that right now? Anybody, listen, be honest, tell the truth, stay in the church. Do you feel right now like it's just you and your spouse, or it's just you and your family? Maybe you feel like it's just you, and you feel like this massive army is coming after you. The enemy's attacking you. The, the forces of evil are coming against you, and you feel all alone. I've got good news. Listen to this. Elisha prayed, and in verse 17, this is what he, he said, God, open the eyes of the servant. And in verse 17, this is what it says. The servant looked and saw that the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Here's the good news. The same God of the Old Testament, the same God that sent an army of fiery horses and chariots is the same God that loves you enough to send His Son to die in your place. The same God that is a friend that sticks closer than a brother that will never leave and never forsake you. That's the same God you have. Let the army come. Send what? Hey, you better send two and they better bring two lunches because me and Jesus are going to eat yours. Paul knew that the destruction of their enemies as well as the deliverance of themselves was evidenced by their unity in these three actions. Number five, the conflict. Look at verses 29 and 30. For it has been given to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him, having the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear about me. Paul doubles down on the greatest challenge in any of his letters with this statement. We've been given the opportunity to believe in Christ, but also to suffer with Christ. Look at me. Not suffer for Christ, that you'll do that, but to suffer with Christ. The beautiful thing about Jesus is He never sends you on a job by yourself. The Great Commission, He says, Go ye therefore into all nations, baptizing, making disciples, telling them, teaching them to observe. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We are to suffer for Christ, but we get to suffer with Christ. Both of these verbs, believe and suffer here, in the Greek or in the present infinitive, which means they signify continuous or repeated action without implying anything about the time of the action. So there's no timetable, there's no clock in and clock out, there's no window of time for these verbs to take place. They are continuous all the time, believe and suffer. And then they're tied together with not only, but also, which is a correlative, coordinate conjunction. It connects grammatically equal parts. Austin, did I say that right? Close enough? I'm not an English major. I see people always say, I'm bilingual. I'm trilingual. I'm just trying to be, I'm trying to give one. 
But if you follow the grammatical line of thinking here, it should be expected for the believer to suffer for Jesus if we put our faith in Jesus. Does that make sense? Not only to believe, but also to suffer. Following the verb tense in the Greek, we should expect our suffering to continue as our belief continues until God makes all things right once again in the new heaven and the new earth. Here, here, here give me an analogy. Telling people that Jesus will eliminate all their problems is not only dangerous, but also heretical. You see what I did there? <laughs> so these are equal verbs, and they're continuous action verbs without a timetable or a window. So it's not believe until here and then suffer a little bit, and then you're going to have it. No, no. Not only to believe, but also to suffer. Equal verbs, present infinitive, no timetable. So if you're suffering right now, listen to me, get, get comfy. Because there's no guarantee that suffering's going to end on this side of eternity. There's no guarantee that you're not going to have to suffer more on this side of eternity. What's guaranteed is there will be no suffering on the other side of eternity. When Jesus comes and makes all things new, there will be no suffering. There will be no tribulation and trial and struggle. Because once this is all done and the new heaven and the new earth are established, all we're going to do is experience what it's like to have the mind and the body of Christ. We're going to have a glorified body, a glorified mind. We're not going to have to struggle with temptation and, and, and dis, uh, disillusionment and confusion and all these other Human things that we struggle with, they're going to be gone. There's going to be no cancer. There's going to be no arthritis. There's going to be no uh, orbital inflammatory syndrome. I tell you, I like to get my hands on that dude. If, that, if, you could put that in a, in a, if you could put that little disease in a body and give me about five minutes with it, I would enjoy that. But, but none of that's going to happen. None of that's going to be here at the end of everything. But look at me, church. Until then, you better get your big boy britches on or your big girl britches on because there will be suffering. The Bible says it very clearly. In this world, Jesus is saying this, in this world you will have trouble. Not you might, not you may, you will. But he's overcome the world. Not only to believe, but also to suffer. The problem is we don't want to suffer. If we're being honest, if he gave you a choice, if he said you can suffer or not suffer, which would you pick? I'll, I'll take the not suffer. <laughs> Matter of fact, I'll take two of those and a side of fries of the not suffer. But you don't have that option. None of us know what tomorrow brings, but look, I know who holds tomorrow. See, they ought to write a song about that. Oh, wait, they did. <laughs> so here, here, I want to give you this statement, and then we're going to close. My mission, I'm sorry, my misery does not impact my mission. My misery does not impact my mission. If I need to have cancer to make much of Jesus, then bring it on. If I've got to deal with, with loss, if I've got to deal with, with pain, if I've got to deal with depression, if I've got to deal with whatever it is, I don't care because if Jesus is the payoff, then I really don't care what I've got to do to get there. Amen? Because to live is Christ. Leonard Ravenhill puts it this way. He says, are the things you are living for worth Christ dying for? Are the things you are living for worth Christ dying for? 
there's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with being successful in business, with, with getting promotions and advancing in your job. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having a big house and having fancy stuff. Nothing. We've talked about it a couple weeks ago. Money is inanimate. It's not evil or good. It's just money. But look, when you, when you start worshiping whatever that is, whether it's money or fame or status or power or control, when you start worshiping those things, well, now that's what you're living for. When you start living for something other than Jesus, that's not worth Jesus dying for. A good thing is a good thing until it becomes a God thing and then it becomes an idol. Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as it is appointed for people to die once, and after this, judgment. So with judgment in mind, let me ask you that again. Is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? Austrian physicist, we talked about him a minute ago, and Holocaust survivor Viktor Frankl said that the gruesome experience of Auschwitz taught him about the primary purpose of life, which he determined was the quest for meaning, which is what he said sustained those who survived in that hellish experience. In discussing the meaning of life, this is what Frankl said, the point is not what we expect from life, but rather what life expects from us. You know, there are only people who are going to miss, hell, miss heaven by 18 inches because they got the head knowledge, but they never can get it here. Well, I believe in Jesus. Well, good, you're equal with the demon. Congratulations. But you've got you to confess him. You've got you to turn your life over to him. This man, my, from what I gathered reading, he, was, he never professed a faith in Christ. He was an atheist. He missed it, and he was so close. So close. Let me read that again. The point is not what we expect from life, but rather what life expects from us. Ooh, so close. Let me fix it. Let me make what he said fully true. The point of life is not what we expect from God, but rather what God expects from us. It's what you're living for, worth Christ dying for. Unlike one of our former presidents, I know what the definition of is is. So when it says to live is Christ, that means that he is the totality of our existence. My life is worth the living because he lives. To live is Christ. Listen to me. If you're here today and you're not living for Jesus, you're not living. If you're here today and you don't know what that personal relationship with Jesus really feels like, if you're here today and say, well, Brother Kevin, I've gone to church my whole life, but do you know Jesus? Because y'all listen, these chairs are in church more than you will ever be, and they ain't going to heaven. To live is Christ. And if you live for Jesus, then you can say with what Paul said in the last part, to die is gain. So we're going to do this a little differently. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, if you're here today and there's any doubt in your mind that you, you don't, you're like, look, you know, I'm religious, but I don't take it as seriously as you do. Listen to me. You're lost. Just being, I'm being, trying to be honest with you. Now, maybe you are saved, but listen, if, if you've met Jesus and you don't, you don't have a passion to know more about him and to be closer to him and to get deeper into him, I'm sorry, but I don't think you've met Jesus. You might have met something like Jesus, but if you've met Jesus, man, I don't know how you... I don't know how you know anything about him and don't want to know everything about him. 
So if you're here today and you just say, you know what, I, I don't know for sure that I have a relationship with Christ, we're going to have counselors that are going to come to these doors. And if you need somebody to talk to, if you need to talk to me, if you need somebody to pray with you, you come. Don't, don't let the virus keep you from making a decision for Christ. Jillian's going to come play for us. We're, we're going to keep social distancing. But if you need to know Jesus, if you really need to talk to somebody about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ so that you can say to live is Christ, just don't wait. Don't, don't be embarrassed. I mean, Jesus hung naked on a cross for you. You can get up and walk 100 feet for him. If you need to know Jesus this morning, move right now. We're not going to wait a long time. But if you need to know Jesus right now, move. If you're watching the live stream and you need to know Jesus, if you're, if you're here with us now via live stream, comment. We have somebody monitoring those to talk to you. Email me at kevin at wemochurch.org. Talk to somebody. Don't go another minute without making that profession of faith, without knowing what it means to follow Christ. If you need to make that move today, do it. Maybe you're here today and you just don't know for sure uh, what to do with this information. That you're, you're like, man, I know Jesus and, and I'm walking with him, but this suffering thing is getting heavy. This suffering has been hard and I just need to talk to somebody. I just need, to, I need somebody to counsel with me to tell me it's going to be all right. Come on up here. Let somebody talk to you. We've got people who will pray with you, who will counsel with you. The Bible doesn't say suffering is easy. It just says suffering will happen. And if you have Jesus, you can overcome it. Maybe you're here today and you say, hey, I know Jesus and I'm dealing with the suffering thing, but I don't have a church home. If you need to move your letter, you need to come join this church, you can do that right now. Again, we're not going to wait long, but if you need to make that move today, you go ahead. earnest prayer today is not that you would enjoy the sermon. <laughs> it's not that, uh, that you would enjoy the worship or enjoy the time here. My earnest prayer today is that the living, breathing, inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God has spoken to you today. On top of that, my prayer is that you won't just let it stop there, that you'll do something with it. Thank you so much for being here. For you at home, join us in live stream. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to pray, and then I've got just a quick announcement I want to make at the end of that, okay? So let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. I pray, God, that you would speak, that, uh, that, that anything that I've said would fall away, but what you have spoken would stick. And I, God, I pray that you would give everybody the boldness to live for you, 100% sold out forever, to live for you. God, help us to do that. Help us to honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.